Good morning, everybody. So we are here today back again with um, my friend Lori, who um, we decided that we were going to talk about the Amish and Plain Patriarchy for several reasons. But a key one being before you can begin to understand the culture of Amish and Plain people, especially when you start talking about the communities that I lived in, like before you can begin to understand that culture, you have to understand how the society works. And I'd like to begin by talking about what I describe um, the culture, the societal structure inside of the communities that I lived in. And what that would be like, I would describe it as a caste system. With the caste system, you have people who are like up here in power and then people, it's like a ladder and then people down on the next, next lower level of power. So you might have like the ministry and like to include the bishop, ministers and deacon because that's how our churches operate. Each district will have like a bishop, two ministers and a deacon. Um, they might be up there on top, right? You might have um, people that come from a good family that might be elevated on that ladder. You might have people who are wealthy who are also elevated on that ladder and hold a lot of privilege and power. And then as it goes down a little bit further, it's more of like the average Joe, right? That's, that's a typical person. And then you have people who lose socials, who are lower on the ladder. For example, somebody who's, um, they maybe just don't come from a good family. They might not ever have the ability or opportunity to es elevate themselves on that ladder to the highest position of power. You have people at the bottom who are like poor who maybe they don't have the ability to manage money well, or they don't have the ability to make a lot of money. And they're going to be, again, at the bottom of the ladder. If people are joined into Amish communities, like we had somebody who came to a church service that was kind of joined into an Amish community. And the way that that person was talked about was like, they were the lowest. They were so low on that on that ladder and the things that can like get you it your your status can change on that ladder to some extent like you can lose social status if for example your um if your father dies as a child like you can lose um social status because now because the mother isn't allowed to work outside of the home the church now will give money to take care of you. They will appoint men in many cases to manage the money that the church has given. So they had a group of like three men who appointed money to, uh, who, who were appointed to manage the money for the specific situation that I personally experienced. And another thing, if you don't have children, you might lose social status. If you maybe don't get married when you're supposed to, you might lose social status. If you're out there being wild as a teenager, 
that can follow you your whole life. If you were essayed, you can lose social status. You'll always be known as that person. And I'm not talking about being the perpetrator of essay. I'm talking about being the victim of essay. If you are sexually assaulted, you can lose social status because of that. If you are abused, you can lose social status. So with that being said, I don't know if you'd like to give an overview of of the Mennonite community's culture and societal structure, what you experienced. Um, I, so I was pretty young. Well, I was 18, I guess, when we left the conservative group that I was a part of. So I, um, I don't know that I paid super close attention to like what was going on, but when I think back to it, um, definitely, the people in leadership, obviously, and it's it's a very patriarchal society um, in general, or all of the Mennonite communities that I've been a part of, um, and so that that was my experience too. Like, and certainly, if you weren't married, and um, you definitely um, you were not well known, <laughs> it, right? Right, like that. It was frowned upon. Like, I remember feeling all this pressure, but again, I left that really conservative group before I hit old maid status. (laughs) Oh my God. They called, they called girls that didn't get married on top old maids too. Oh yeah. We did that. We called them old maids. They were known as old maids. I used to joke about my old maid curls because I had like curls in the back of my like I have straight hair, but I had some curls at the back of my neck. Had some flyaways, huh? Good morning, Jacob. I'm still. I'm not on now. I guess I'm an old old maid in my mid forties, not married. But look at me doing okay. <laughs> That's amazing. amazing. I'm so glad you're doing okay. So Deb has an important question. She asks, um, "How many communities are in a district?" Um, That's not. So it's typically you have a community and they'll have various church districts within the community. Like some of the communities that I lived in, they would have like 13 churches in the entire community. And that would be, each church would be considered a district. Yeah. The last one that I lived in, they had one church district only because it was a small community. Um, another thing that I want to talk about real quick is Within that that structure of society, it is preached that men came first and then the woman. And that is the way that they set up their positions of power. So it's interesting, too, how, how like some of the overlapping similarities are there between Amish and Plain, like Mennonites, right? But it's not exactly the same. Like, did you have, like, that group of ministry at the head? Or was it just, like, was it, did you have one pastor? Did you call them? we had a group, like, we had a bishop that was over, like, our district, um, which I think was, like, I don't know, two or three churches. Again, it's hard to remember. But, um, and then within our church, we had a deacon and a um, minister. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I, it was similar, I would say. Very similar. 
yeah, and then that's just, that's you know, similar thing to what y'all did of like to be ordained, you know, where they pull the piece of paper out of a book. Where it's basically, so to become ordained, there's mm -hmm. basically like a popularity contest in some ways. Because they'll have baptized church members um, stay sitting and the children will all leave because that's that's how we conduct church business. And technically, if you believe Amish beliefs, then you would believe that I'm committing a sin because I'm telling you church business right now. Disobedient mm -hmm. woman. Um. I, I guess that does make me a little bit disobedient. Um, although I don't believe that I'm committing a sin. I believe I'm talking about Amish as human beings. And they are human beings who just, who are worthy of human rights. I'm going to keep saying that until they, yeah, or until my dying breath. So there's that. Mm -hmm. But regardless, so. Whichever comes first. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sinner spreading the church business. <laughs> well, I mean, we have to talk about it in its entirety in order to be able to understand the culture better so that people who are in positions to serve people from these communities can actually ask the right questions and serve them properly as human beings. That's my opinion for what it's worth. But regardless, going back to how they become ordained. So, they once they have all the children leave then um they go around and they ask people who they think would would make a good um replacement minister or if for example let's just say it's we have three ministers but we don't have a bishop so then you would um they would ask you which of the three ministers because in order to become a bishop you have to be a minister first which of the three ministers you would you would cast your vote for your basically your vote and then um to make a minister you you just select somebody in the community and then whomever gets so many amounts of votes will get a book and they will all line up and they will all open their books at the same time and whomever's book has a piece of paper in it, that's the person that becomes the new minister. Sometimes, even though our um, Bible and our New Testament is written in Hochdeutsch, our ordained, newly ordained minister may not be able to read the Bible. Really? Yep. Happens all the time. Because they don't know, they don't, it's a different language than just P.A. Dutch. <clears throat> P.A. Dutch is spoken only, not written. I, oh, yeah, I did know that. Yeah. And so I learned how to read and write in, in Hochdeutsch, but not everybody learns how to read and write in Hochdeutsch and retains it. Right. Yes, it's high German. Yes, Deb, it's high German. Okay, okay. The Bible and the New Testament is in high German. So who was able to read that? People who paid attention in school. <laughs> so it was taught in school, but... Or had a good school teacher. Because mm -hmm. it can be one of two ways. It can be somebody may not have paid attention in school or they might have had a difficult way with the way the information was presented. 
or you know the teacher may not have understood it very well right. so if they didn't know it themselves they couldn't teach it right and so the other thing is is like no women held any positions of leadership or authority in the church those were reserved for men because the man comes first. So with that being said, let's talk about the patriarchy. Yes. What is the patriarchy? So I did look up a definition because I love definitions. Um, patri um, the dictionary says that... Um, Which dictionary? Um, I just Googled and the dictionary came up. So it says from Oxford languages. So I'm not okay. really sure. But when you Google anything, at least for me, when I Google it, that's the dictionary definition is always the first thing that comes up. Um, but that's a good question. <clears throat> a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the main line. Under that, <clears throat> it says a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. That is the legal definition or the dictionary definition of patriarchy. So did you have women in positions of power in your Absolutely church leadership? Not. <laughs> Never, not one. <clears throat> Um, so they could teach school, like I had female school teachers, but nothing past probably middle school. After that, it was all male teachers. See, we had, we only went to eighth grade and we had women school teachers, but they were like the curriculum was was still controlled by the school board, which was also comprised of all men and the church leadership also comprised of all men. So oh whether we had women school teachers or not, what they put out was a carefully curated curriculum that was approved by the, by the people in positions of power in the community. Which were all men. Yep. And we have an interesting comment. I know some people that say that Germans should not be taught in school, that the parents are responsible for teaching their children to read German. Yes, that is a very valid point, and it's actually, it is true. There are some people that don't think it should be taught in school. But I was lucky, and it was taught to me in school. I actually wish, like, my parents spoke Pennsylvania. My parents, parents can both speak Pennsylvania Dutch. So my dad grew up Amish. My mom didn't. I'm not sure where she acquired the language, but they both can speak it. My mom probably not as fluently as my dad, but they would only speak it when they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. And I wish that they had, I wish they had taught it to me. I would love to be able to know what you're going off on when you go Pennsylvania Dutch. They don't really speak it now anymore, but like growing up, that was, that was what they did. Yeah. So I know a few phrases and words, but that's about that's it. about it. Yeah, they're just the funny ones. They don't really. So speaking of that, so like, was there any space in which a woman had a voice? Like, did you ever see a woman get up and speak in your community? 
not in church, no. Um, if they did speak, it would be just to like the women, like in Sunday school. Um, they could have women's women's groups, women's Sunday school, or you know things like that. I'm sorry, I'm allergies, or I'm getting over COVID, so. Well, I'm glad you're still with us. <laughs> still with us. Too. Praise be. Bless you, the fruit. <laughs> I'm just saying, I am glad you're still with us. Me too. Yeah, it's coming out. It came around and whooped my butt again this week. So um, I had it like a month ago, and everybody says this is like normal. I tested negative, but. Um, yeah. What I had, the doctor said, were, was mild, so I can only imagine how bad it was for people that had it moderate to severe. But, um, right. but yes, women, I never, women were not allowed to speak in front of men. Um, not that like, they could speak in front of men, like in their homes and and things like that, and then like groups, but they couldn't preach or lecture or teach or anything like that in front of men. Like we we didn't have women speaking in church either. That wasn't. Did you have Sunday school in your church services? Nope. Yeah. So it was just like one big everybody in one room for the entire service. Well, it wasn't even one room. It was like typically the men would go in the living room, and the women would be in the kitchen, and then the pa uh, the place. minister or the bishop would yeah we had to stay in our place you know <laughs> the the minister or the or the bishop would get up and and we had like three hour long services every sunday yeah. on the regular i knew it was in your home but i wasn't sure like yeah we we had to stay in our place in the kitchen i'm i'm just saying could you at least sit That's yes we could sit on backless wooden benches I did go, I do remember going to an Amish funeral. I barely remember it, but it was one of my great grandparents. <clears throat> yeah. I I can only imagine. Jacob asked if should we put a prayer request out for you, Lori, since you're sick? Yes, please. Um, could you send that on the prayer chain though? And please leave write it in the circle letter, Jacob. Ooh, yeah, circle letter. That takes me back. <laughs> Don't add any gossip, though, because we know they like to gossip. No, no, don't add any we're gossip. Worried about, we're concerned Lori, about Lori. We're concerned about Lori because Lori's been doing poorly. That's that's all you have to say. Oh, right. And then it just leaves the mind. that We don't say, like, she's been sick. We just, like, no. we let them wonder if she's doing bad things so that we can, like, you know, Lori, are you following the rules? No, I'm just write saying. it in the budget. Yeah. Oh, the bloodshaft too. <laughs> the budget. I can my parents used to read the budget sometimes. My grandmother definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely know some writers for the butchaft, the butchaft mm -hmm. and the budget. And I'm just saying, definitely just mention that okay. Lori's been doing poorly because this is how we talk, right? Yep. She is unwell. We have a really good question. I understand the male structure, but could you elaborate more on the women? Was there a hierarchy amongst the women? For example, if a woman saw an injustice to another woman, would she speak out? My guess is no. No, not necessarily. In fact, because of the indoctrination, women actually tend to... Uh, 
police each other up. I, I don't know how to say that in a nice way, but it's like if a woman saw you and they thought your dress was too short and you were at, like, for example, your aunt's house for a quilting or something, they might um, pull out the yardstick and measure to make sure your dress is not too short. Mary, we're not here to be nice. Nice women aren't remembered in history, remember? So we're not here to be nice. Um, women, there was a hierarchy among women. Um, if you were the deacon's wife or the minister's wife or the bishop's wife, um, or like the caste system, like she described earlier, yes. applies to women the same way. If you married well, um, and Mary didn't mention this, but or maybe you kind of touched on it, but if you converted in to Mennonite or Amish. Uh, my mom could probably t testify to that. She did not. She grew up Pentecostal holiness. Um, and <clears throat> I know my grandparents were really worried about her marrying my dad because. Uh oh, she's not. I'm. Can you hear me? Is Satan interfering in this live stream? <laughs> My life is out. Okay, we're we're good. Wow, we we survived Ian. I don't know what what's going on. Um, my grand my my mom's parents are divorced, and my grandmother was extremely concerned about my dad marrying a woman who came from a divorced family and a non Mennonite family, non playing background. Oh, the oh, I was really worried that she would cook or bake and so slim we're all pretty fat so i think she did a good job <laughs> oh my god yeah oh my god well i mean yes so what Lori says is like was there a hierarchy yes there was a hierarchy basically because of the fact that women are basically property of their husbands their fathers the church um you know whoever they married determines your status in the community. I kind of like to compare it to if anybody has seen Downton Abbey or um, there's another, there's a couple other shows. I can't think of them right now um, of England in that time frame in which um, they weren't allowed to own property or they couldn't even inherit their husband's money without being married. I don't know if it was quite to that extreme, but I kind of compare it to that a little bit. Um, it's similar, I would say. I don't, I don't watch Downton Abbey, but I've I'm glad it. you're a little bit more pop culture literate than I am. <laughs> Look at I the men and I, you're so worldly. You know, I think, um, Jacob has a point. We should put it in the mind brief. Okay. I don't know what that is. It's a, it has to be. It's a Amish thing, I think. Then, because you don't yeah. know what it is, it's a, it's another like one of those publications. Yeah, yeah. Or, or we could write a letter to the to the Young Companion or Family Life too, if we really want to go there. And I'm getting off topic, but um, speaking of pop culture, I do like to use this, like when I don't to my friends, like if they. If they bring up a movie or a show that was definitely during my Mennonite years that I didn't have it and I don't know what it is, I'm like, I was Mennonite. And they'll, oh, that's right. But I sometimes, I do it for anything that I don't know. And they'll be like, Laurie, that was 10 years ago. Like, you don't have any <laughs> I'm the, I do the same thing, except I'm like, but I was Amish. I like, would use that no. until the day I died. <laughs> even if it was yes, something that came out yesterday. I'm sorry, I was Mennonite. 
don't yeah, no. I, my friend told me I'm not allowed to use that excuse for everything. I'm like, but they try to tell me that, but clearly I don't listen to rules. Rules are made to be broken. Wait, my bad. Did I say that? I'm not. <laughs> Back to our, our topic here. We were discussing the roles of women inside of this community. So the roles of women, like in the communities that I grew up in, I was raised to be a person that gets married and has as many babies as possible. Because they are all a gift from God and you should have as many children as possible. We were not allowed to have birth control. It wasn't supposed to be a thing. I didn't even know that birth control existed until I escaped from my community. What about you? I don't remember them discussing birth control, but I do know that like that verse in the Bible about being fruitful and multiply was used a lot. And I know it was encouraged to have a lot of kids. Um, maybe not quite to that extreme, but it was certainly encouraged and you'll see a lot of big Mennonite families. People think my family is huge. I have, there's five of us. It's really not a huge family. They have no idea. I have eight brothers. Exactly. A <laughs> half sister, nine step brothers and five step sisters. Yep. Yep. Um, so Jacob is explaining the good mind debris for you. It's, comes around every two weeks says where church was and will be the next time I went from and they had at church. What's from it? Visitors. Uh, yeah. So gossipy. It is gossipy. Who preached, you know? I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love gossip. But then there's also this thing within the within the churches. Like so if like for say like like you belong to a conservative Mennonite church, right? And, and I was old order Amish, like, and, and let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you were a minister and you came to visit at church services, right? Because you're so liberal, you wouldn't be allowed to preach or even, we might not even acknowledge that you're in the ministry. Right, right. Because you're still, did you guys call Mennonites English or just people that weren't plain at all? Um... We typically called them Mennonites, but they were like really, really worldly. Can't be worldly. Like that's a, that's a thing. Another thing is, is there's communities within the communities. There's different societal structures. Like there's some Amish people that will literally look at other Amish communities and be like, well, Sissinet really Dutch. Mm-hmm. I know what that means. What does that mean? They're not really Amish. Why? Why would they say that? Because they're not, they don't subscribe to the same ordnung. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. See, I speak PA Dutch with a Midwestern dialect, and the ordnung is more or less like a, a more, um, a more um, PA state dialect like we have different dialects too yeah Lori, if you are an amish you can't go to heaven okay but then well, if see we believe that if you weren't mennonite so i'm it's just really confusing so 
were we both part of the one true religion, but it was two different religions? I'm so confused. It just doesn't make any sense. What happened here? There was some, somebody got their wires crossed. <laughs> Why True. couldn't Leo Simons and Jacob Ammon just stay, be friends and come up with like a compromise and we could just all be one big happy family? Right. One big happy patriarchal family. One big happy patriarchal family. That's that's right. Maybe it would have broadened our gene pool too if they had just stayed friends. I'm, I'm, I'm really going there. I'm, I'm really going there. This is something you're very passionate about. You, you can have your platform. Go, go ahead. Get on it. Get on the soapbox. No, I'm, this is completely <laughs> off topic. It's inappropriate. I'm not talking about that in this live stream. Okay. 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 But we are talking about like, so how does it affect, like, for example, when you have women who, um, Oh, Jacob has an idea. Just evidence to show there must be more than one God and one more than one heaven. Oh, so oh, so the Amish have their heaven, the Mennonites have their heaven. Got it. My grandmother was she hated the I don't even say it, a specific denomination. And I I was so confused. I was like, I was like, they're all y'all are all dressing, everybody dresses plainer than me anyway. Like all of y'all are. Because, like, my grandparents were more conservative than we were. There's that caste system, too. I think that is, uh -huh. like, that's a separate caste system than what you were talking about. But where, like, you know what I mean? And she hated them. I have no idea why. I have no idea what they did. But I was, like, I just remember being very confused. And I was, like, y'all kind of look the same. You just wear different head coverings and slightly different dresses, but y'all have your whole bodies covered anyway. But she was convinced they weren't going to be in heaven. And I remember saying, she's going to be shocked when she gets there. <laughs> but now I get it. Now I get it. They had but, their own heaven. Well, what if you were Amish and Mennonite? Which one do you go to? See, I'm know. still just... Uh, logically it just doesn't make any sense but regardless um, we don't have to think logically though remember oh no women weren't allowed to speak like if we had questions so like one of the things that I talk about is this I read the bible and when I read the bible I had questions and when I asked those questions I was told to go ask my stepfather and when I asked my stepfather, I was told, well, a woman could could never understand and comprehend this correctly. You're just not reading it right. Yeah, that's, yeah. My dad didn't like when I, I I've always been a question asker. And he, his answer was always because I said so. And I'm the kind of person, like, I just want to know why I, why we're doing X, Y, Z. I will be more likely to agree to do it or feel better about doing it if I understand why. But it's because I said so. And that I only say that to, you know, back to the hierarchical system, like, in the patriarchal system, you didn't ask questions. You didn't challenge. You yep. just did what your father, church minister, right. you know, church leader told you to do you didn't ask you weren't allowed to ask questions 
Right, because asking questions and is is viewed more as a challenge, as like you're challenging authority. Mm-hmm. You're not being a good submissive helpmeet. You're you're just not being a good submissive helpmeet. So, you know, being a good submissive helpmeet means that you have to not ask questions. Don't you dare defy or challenge any authority in any form, shape, or way. Because next thing you know, you'll be disciplined for that. Um, And one of the things that I was also taught is that ministry, um, they they are chosen by God and to view them as the mouthpiece of God in some ways, like, is that a thing? Like for you, was that, was that something? Yeah. So I think, um, cause I believe I'm correct on this. Correct me if I'm wrong, that you weren't Amish weren't, aren't really supposed to read or study the scripture for themselves. Is that, is that correct? Or that's <laughs> depends on- it's, it's dependent <laughs> on community and family. Okay. Cause that's what I, my dad always said, but maybe that was his experience or what his parents right. Told. Right. But we were encouraged to read and study the scripture. What was your question? I already forgot. Oh, I was asking about, did you believe too that ministry were appointed by God and they were the mouthpiece of God? They're definitely, because, you know, back to the way that they were ordained, it wasn't just them picking. It was, it was like through the people choosing, you know, the votes and the way that who picked the Bible with the paper in it i always said who got the short end of the stick but i'm pretty sure that i wasn't supposed to say that but um (laughs) um, but they were and honestly um they believe that about politics too um they would say like whoever is you know put in authority god puts people in authority and that's the way it's supposed to be but we can we won't go down that rabbit hole because i yeah i i just yeah. There are things I want to say, but I, I will not right now. Yeah. Oh, we already answered that for Deb. Deb said, I was under the impression that there wasn't an actual emphasis on reading the Bible in Amish culture because it provoked questions. But there can be. That's the thing. Oh. Oh, my. Mills, let me read the question. <laughs> this may be off topic, but did you go through Brumspringa when you turned 16 or did you immediately join the Amish church? I watched the documentary Devil's Playground a long time ago when I was in college and I was like, damn, they're crazier than we were. Mills, I'd invite you to go to the Misfit Amish YouTube channel and find the panel on Rumspringa. And that will answer all your questions. And then if you still have more questions, you can send me an email. It's also on her podcast. Yeah, it's also on my podcast. Just find the find the item that's Rumspringa and there's a panel on it. And we discuss Rumspringa and what it is and what it isn't. So anyways, um, Let's talk about joining the church. What a fun time. 
how did that work? Was there a preconceived idea of like every, every step of the way you had like a structured layout of like what you were supposed to do? So the concept was that when you came to the age of accountability, which kind of a vague term, right? I guess. Okay. It's- You're making shivers go up to my back right now. Cause I don't, that, that terminology is not used in my, in my, in my space on a regular basis. Used in the Mennonite community. I apologize for the uncomfortable feelings. Um, and that was like, it's vague. It's basically um, the way I understood it was when you could under, when you were old enough to understand what it meant to be a Christian. And so when you had that, when you were in some church service and a song and a sermon made you feel like you needed to go forward and become a Christian is, and then you would do. So I would say usually it happened between the ages of 13 and 17. Like people would start to look at you if you were 17 and you weren't a member of the church yet. Like, like the gossip wheel would start like, why isn't that, why isn't Joe over there? Like, why isn't Mary wearing a covering yet? Cause that's when you started wearing a covering. So then you would go through, you would start wearing a covering. If you were a girl, if you were a boy, nothing really changed. Um, and then you would go through a, um, what was it called? Not, uh, some form of discipleship class. I forget what it was called. Um, and where you would learn about, being Mennonite. I wonder if I still have mine. I'm going to look later. Um, so I've kept some like old, weird, random things, but you had a book that you went through and then you got baptized. And when you got baptized, you were joining the church. And in our church, we did the, they sprinkled three times on your poofed because we had the poof hair always. I, I, it's weird the things you remember. The higher the poof, the closer to heaven. Oh my God. <laughs> That was like a good thing. <laughs> so in in our um, in the community that I was baptized in, typically people would be when they turned seventeen, they were expected to gishtik mino, and that would be like joining church, right? you would be expected to follow the church instructions. And so you would have like nine instruction classes during church services with the ministry. One of those sessions was specifically, I call it the special brainwashing session to especially teach you about not telling church business to outsiders and what a grave sin that is. And they elicit a promise from you at that session that says where you promise you will never tell church business to outsiders. So I guess um, maybe I lied to them. Did you lie or did you just change your mind? Or like later on when you. I think I maybe changed my mind. But they would view it as me lying to them. And they elicit that same promise at the end of that, you get baptized into the church. Um, they have a special church service for the baptism right. and you get down on your knees and they take off your covering. And that's when like the Bishop's wife, who's performing the baptism, she comes and she holds the covering and they pour water on you. Um, 
And then they also elicit that same promise of not telling, amongst other things, but they elicit that same promise of not telling church business to outsiders at the baptism ceremony itself. So that's really important to them that you don't tell churches. I don't remember that part of it. It could have existed. I just but but maybe maybe you guys didn't do it because remember yeah. like Amish Mennonite. We don't we don't know. I don't right. know. Right, and it was called instruction class. That's what it was called. Yeah. Um. So the thing is, is if you didn't join church at the time, oh boy, oh boy. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah what happened to those people you tell well they got talked about a lot but did you see you know we're really concerned about Lori over here we just want to save her soul I mean like yeah I know somebody that didn't get baptized when they should have and it was like they were told let's let's give you um this and this and this well if you go join church you know we'll we'll do this and this for you i'll give you a new buggy da 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 like there's there's like bribery that sounds like and then you like, for me, I always say this. It was easier for me to be baptized than it was for me to go against what I faced if I didn't become baptized. I wonder how many other people do that. I don't know. Probably a lot. But it's it's a really interesting concept because also I know somebody that they gave, they gave the person a green buggy seat. And then, like, after they were baptized, the the next spring because during the summer is when we follow the church rule instruction class or whatever um then after that the next spring they rewrote the utnings brief to say that we can't have green buggy seats anymore that feels like a bait and switch <laughs> but the lord spoke to the ministry and we cannot question or challenge authority here no, clearly the Lord was really concerned about green, green buggy seats that year. It seemed really important all of a sudden to him. Well, and I also lived in a community where, like at one point in time, where women can wear green dresses because, I don't know. All of a sudden, was that added to the list of Jezebel colors? Yeah. I was always told it was red, like red is the color of Jezebel. Oh no, we, we couldn't wear red at all. We couldn't wear purple either. Purple was the color of Jezebel too. So all of a sudden it's any colors that the Lord deems are Jezebelish. He seems to have a very, um, I always thought that, that um, God was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but now he's all of a sudden changing what colors are appropriate for the Amish. That seems really... But right. we don't question that. Probably. No. So here's the other thing. is like, what if a man disagrees with what the ministry is doing? Or what if one of the well, ministers disagrees with what the ministry is doing in the community? Well, I know that, like, if you're So not, what options do they have? I mean, the yeah, that's a good question. 
how can they have discourse if they're not allowed to? Because even though they're men and they hold positions of power and privilege, they're still not supposed to go up against the ministry because remember the ministry's up here, right? Yep. Well, for sure, if you aren't in the ministry, it's the same as a woman, essentially. Like you can't question it. Now, if you are in the ministry, it might depend on your hierarchical like position. Yep. If you were the last to join. I don't know. I imagine bad things happened. Well, why do you think there's so many various denominations? Because they can't agree on, on things. Right. They can't agree on things. So like what option? they make their own community. This is why you have so many splits within um, Anabaptist churches in general is because that is the only form of discourse they are allowed to have. And even then, when you have that split, just because you came from this community doesn't mean that that community will acknowledge you as a righteous and holy community. Like if you think that the community you're in is not strict enough or not following the word of God properly, you don't have an option for having discourse too much except for like going and joining a different community or splitting from that community. Mm -hmm. So one of the communities that I lived in, it was started because the bishop of a church inside of a larger community did not agree with the liberalism in that church. He felt like it was just going too far too fast. So he moves to another state, starts his own church where they're more conservative. But other communities, if they feel like the, the church isn't moving fast enough towards, you know, being more um, liberal, they might split and start a more liberal community. I've seen that happen too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and again, there's this whole, like, there's this phrase like Medina Net Mitzi. Um, it translates to, we don't, Dina, I don't know how to explain that appropriately. It doesn't translate appropriately. But the best thing that I can think of is that we don't communicate or we don't um, we don't go to uh, their community and acknowledge their church business or you know we don't allow them to know any of our church business because they're just not quite right another thing that can happen too is if and and jacob brings up a really good point is if you know the ministry is making rules just for spite on somebody the church can go and ask a group of other bishops to come and try to straighten out the ministry yes they can it may or may not work cute like let's talk about this in Indiana this year, there were three Amish bishops who were convicted of um, a crime in regards to that. What had happened was an Amish woman had taken out a protection order against her abusive husband. 
the church wanted her to drop the protection order. Children and Youth Services told this woman if she dropped the protection order, they would take her children. Wow. So the church is telling her she has to drop the protection order. They wouldn't let her partake in communion for over two years. Um, I believe somebody in the ministry, if I remember correctly, because I was in the, I, I listened to the hearing on this one, several of them. Um, someone in the ministry um, had voted against her dropping the protection order. And the rest of the church thought she should drop the protection order. So they go ask three Amish bishops to come in. And they came in. They silenced the minister or bishop. I think it was the bishop who had disagreed with her dropping the protection order. And they silenced him for a year. And then they were brought up on charges for and convicted of charges for intimidating a victim. Wow. So it can happen that ministry comes in, maybe bishops with more power and privilege, because like everything is set up on this whole like hierarchical status. It can happen that ministry can be silenced for like a year or two. But it also can be something that is completely unjust. Because what kind of people, as it collectively, as a group, tell a domestic violence survivor that you have to drop your protection order against someone that is harming your children? Like, what kind of people do that? And it's not right. No, it's horrible. But it does happen. Mm -hmm. And it does happen in other instances where it may be justified. But that's what other options are there besides those things? Did you have any other options? Um, me? Yeah. No. No. So Deb wants to know what happens if you are in the ministry, well-respected, and visit a less conservative community and attend services. Well, it depends on if you um, <clears throat> if you associate or affiliate and you have an agreement with that church, you might be invited to speak as a visiting minister or bishop or deacon. You might you might be invited to. If you do not have an agreement with that community, you probably would not even be acknowledged as a minister, as being in the ministry. Is that the same for the Mennonites? I honestly don't know because, like, because of the age that I was when I left the conservative, but I would imagine it's similar. Gotcha. That's a that's a great answer. I, I think too, one of the things that really stands out to me is like, we're talking about the ministry and people need to remember that this is, this is the patriarchy. This is the effects of the patriarchy 
in this culture, like when you think about those three Amish bishops who were convicted of intimidation of a witness, um, in the same token, um, when you have a group of people who collectively follow everything without question, the unquestioning blind obedience, where does that come from? And how is that acceptable? When you see unjust acts, how is that acceptable? And then you consider the culture and the mentality of, let me go here. I told you I was going to do it. I was going to do it. Y'all know this is my favorite book. She did it. To a girl of 11. Let's let's talk about it. Um, you have this teaching that says, if you do your part to dress and behave modestly and do not go out alone in public places, you need not have any great fears of men with evil intentions. Of course, you will want to pray to God to protect you at all times. That's blaming. Just the beginning. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're just getting started. She's... There's there's more. There's So there's victim blaming right there. Um, and not only that, but there's also this other subtle message that says that if you're going out into the world, which is like uh, go out into public places, right? You're going out into the world. So that implies that what's unsaid in that passage is that in your own community and your own homes, you are safe. That's a lie. That's a lie. SA, sexual assault and child sexual assault and abuse knows no boundaries. It's also more common, and this is across all, you know, this is not just common to plain communities, to be had to be done by people that you know versus strangers. It's more common. It's not exclusively, but it is more common. So right. what does that mean in this context that it's within your plain community? But we're completely ignoring that in our to, uh, advice to a girl of 11, in our sex education to a girl, for to a girl of 11. Which is about so, the sex education that they get. There is something else that you need to know as your body begins to make changes from a bud into a flower, from childhood into beautiful girlhood. And that is that you should be careful of your dress and behavior, even around boys and men with good intentions. What does that mean? That's also victim blaming. And I can't remember if I said this last week, but I can remember them telling us that if, a man lust after us. It's our fault because we weren't dressed appropriately. Yeah. I I want to read um, one more passage that I kind of feel also content warning, y'all. I'm, I'm sorry. I usually give content warnings. This is some really heavy stuff to dissect. Just as a rosebud unfolds into the right time unfolds at the right time into a beautiful flower, pure and unsoiled, so is your life at this time. You are a virgin. 
This means a girl who is still pure and has never had intercourse. Your virginity is a treasure that once lost can never be regained, no matter how hard you try. It is true that God can forgive you if you sincerely repent, but the scars will remain and your virginity will never come back. Is that what they mean when people talk about purity culture? <laughs> yep. Because in that one little passage, there's a heavy emphasis on remaining a virgin. It is your responsibility. So if you're raped or sexually assaulted, no matter your age, no matter what the situation, you can never regain your virginity, even if God can forgive you. So if you're raped or sexually assaulted, why does God need to forgive you for being raped or sexually assaulted? Yeah, there is no answer. What is that implying? That it was your fault. That you were complicit. You didn't dress appropriately. You didn't do something appropriately. You're not pure anymore. And it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Don't blame me. And you have to pray to God to forgive you for being raped because, yeah, no. We need to do better. We can do better than this. And then, further, let's talk about the sex urge. Once it is awakened and active in a young boy at the age of puberty and beyond can become a powerful driving force within him. He knows that he should control his desires, his sexual desires, and he may want to very much. He may strive for purity, not only in actions, but also in his thoughts. Every decent girl who realizes this will do her best to help him and not make it harder for him. Even in your own home, if you have brothers in their teens, you should be mindful of this. Do not appear in their presence with nightclothes that are scanty. Y'all, I grew up in communities where my nightclothes covered literally 99% of what my dress covered. If not more. Exactly. We wear sleep coverings. See, and that's another difference. It's like we wear coverings all the time from birth. Mm -hmm. We never had like a non-covering time. That wasn't a thing. Yeah. Be modest about climbing up ladders. Be sure your dress stays closed in front. And when you sleep, either be sure your door is closed or you are properly clothed or covered. Your brother innocently coming upon you and seeing your partly uncovered body may suddenly have strong sexual desires aroused within him. His intentions were not bad, but he suddenly finds himself the victim of your carelessness and the lusts of his own body. Although he may not bother you, and you may never be aware of the harm you did him, he may well be tempted to sins of personal impurity which many young boys wrestle with. Keep in mind, this is this uh, the audience for this book is age eleven. To a girl of eleven. Imagine an eleven-year-old trying to process this. Imagine eleven an eleven-year-old who may have already been um, experienced abuse trying to process this, whether she did or didn't. 
imagine her trying to even understand any of that and that being her only sex education. I just... I'm traumatized as an adult hearing it, to be honest. I mean, it's quite frankly, it's it's unacceptable and we can do better than that. I believe that Amish people can do better than that because we are human beings capable of critical and abstract thinking. We are human beings who are worthy of good information. I believe that plain people can do better. But in order for people to do better, they have to have access to information. You have to meet them where they are. How do we meet them where they are? Education. So with that being said, I'd like to invite you to go check out the misfitamish.com slash printable resources. Literally, if you go there, I'll, I'll put a link in the comments too, now that I think about it. Um, but if you go there, there's printable resources. Um, there's terms used when reporting. There's types of abuse like PA-specific privacy and statute of limitations, Ohio-specific. There's a booklet called How to Report Abuse. Um, you can print any of those without charge. We don't even need to know about it and disseminate them in public places. You can disseminate them in ways that Amish and plain people can access better information. Those booklets were put together. They were first compiled by people who um, spoke Amish, uh, PA Dutch, and by people who, some of them are currently still Amish and or plain. So like some conservative Mennonites also participated. And then there were people who have exited the culture and, and don't live that life anymore. And then there were professionals that invested time and energy into ensuring that all of this is best practice information for Amish and plain people so that they can teach themselves and their children better in the future. But yeah, with that being said, do you have any parting thoughts for everybody? Thank you for listening. This is important. I know it's uncomfortable and it's hard to hear, um, but it's important conversation. And thanks for joining. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to thank everybody for joining. I also know that it's it's really, really imperative to have these conversations. I'd like to also say that if you find yourself being really uncomfortable, made uncomfortable by this information, you know, take some time to really sit with it. Take some time to read. Take some time to learn more. I'd invite you to learn more by listening to other podcasts. You can also head on over to the Plain People's Podcast. There's a lot of podcasts over there that have a lot of good information as well. Um, and actually read about the research that I've been working on and understand why it is so imperative that we have to sometimes sit with the discomfort and the only way forward is through the discomfort. We can't shove it down anymore. We can't sit here in silence anymore. It's still happening today as we speak. And it's not right. Nobody deserves that. We didn't deserve that. You don't deserve that. And until we actually acknowledge the culture 
you know, until we begin to understand the culture in and of itself and the structure of their society, we can't even begin to ask how we can best serve survivors from these communities if we don't understand the culture. So I'm grateful that all of you were here today. I'm grateful for your wonderful participation, your questions. I'm grateful for your energy. Thank you all. Have a good day.